I playfully introduced myself to some of you this morning. I'm the visiting priest. <laughs> Starting 20, my month 29 as your visitor, as your interim. It's a joy to be back. I'm a little discombobulated. It would be good if I get my manuscript out of my Bible. I think I could preach without it, but it's really an outline, not a manuscript. I'm just grateful to be back. Cynthia and I have had a lovely time. See, she says that it's the first real vacation she can remember me ever having, which means that I really began to relax. <laughs> and we, we've had a good, a good break. And I, I want to thank everybody that has kept things going. Senior Warden, I appreciate all that you've done, what I know you've done, and what I don't know you've done, and all the rest of you. Um, thank you so much. Um, and uh, for the visitors, um, I understand I've, I've heard different stories, um, but especially I want to uh, say out loud, I thank Rob uh, uh, Coons, who, who subbed four times for us. My understanding is he introduced you to a whole new way of doing a sermon. Is that right? <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he has a dialogical way. But today, we, we, we turn our, our eyes to, again, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and apparently, both Father Rob and last week, Shay uh, Gregory, when he was here to bring to conclusion the time, my time away, they've been in chapter 13 of Matthew, and so we are still today. We hear two of the more Difficult to forget, in my judgment, difficult to forget parables of our Lord, although there's a part of us that would like to forget them. These are two of the parables that most of us would like to forget. Um, I remember them from my childhood because of the mystery of hearing the phrase weeping and ganashing of teeth, uh, which was how it got said in my, in my little hometown, ganashing weeping and gnashing of teeth, that, that there was a, a separation coming and that we were to want to be and to pray to be and to live to be on the right side of that separation. So both of these parables of the kingdom are actually parables that at one level are all about judgment, are all about judgment. Um, and, and the scriptures actually make this clear from the beginning to the end. If, if we pay attention at all, week by week by week, to the words that we say, the words that we hear, the, the, the psalms that we recite responsibly together, many if not all of the hymns that we sing, a day is coming when there will be a great judgment. And, and the truth of the scriptures, the absolute authority of the word of God is there are only two sides to that judgment. There aren't 15 sides. There aren't 100 sides. There aren't three sides. There are only two. There are those who will be blessed of God and those who will not. And all of the scripture, all of the scripture makes very clear that we are involved in that outcome. That the choices that we are making day by day, sometimes moment by moment, are setting a course for our life. 
that is leading to one or the other of those outcomes. And that the choices are real. They are real. We, we, we can trust God and receive what he has promised and what he has offered to us by turning to God, or we cannot. And, and, and it, it, it's, it's so clear. It is so absolutely clear. And yet, you know and I know that we don't want to face it. We don't want to face it. Or if we do want to face it, we want to face it really quickly with fingers crossed that we're going to be on the right side. Now, there's no one in the room that would deny that that's in some way a reality of of parts of our lives, all of us. And yet the clear word of God puts before us that this separation is coming. This This day of separation is coming. And as I've said many times over the years, because I first preached uh, in your midst, or for really probably most of the, the, the 830 service, I first preached in your midst in 2014. So my, my interim rectorship began in 2020, but I, I've been privileged to, from time to time, speak to this congregation since 2014. And, and the reality of this is that We can't keep behaving as though it doesn't matter how we live or the choices we make. We all want what the good, we all want the good things that are promised. But as the prayer that we've prayed today um, uh, reminds us, if God doesn't make us love what he commands, we won't know what he promises. We won't know what he promises. Now, the parable of the weeds is the first of these two. The second one's the parable of the net. And the thing about parables, and I know that some of the visiting priests have talked about this before, the thing about parables is they're supposed to set us to thinking. They're supposed to set us to pondering. They're supposed to set us to praying. And they're supposed to help us break free from behaviors and attitudes and thoughts that are contrary to God's will and God's purpose for us. And they're supposed to upset us in some sense. They're supposed to get into our, under our skin, as, as I grew up hearing older people say, and I say myself. The parable of the weeds describes a, a man who has a field and sows into the field because he wants a good harvest. He wants something positive to come from sowing into the field. Now, some some people that I know really well because I've lived with her for 55 years have been sowing some seeds this week. She's sowing seeds in her garden because she wants a good harvest. But underneath the bird feeder, weeds grow up because she wants to feed the birds too. So she has to weed under the feeder, but she sows for a good harvest. The the sower goes out to sow that his field will produce a good crop. And yet weeds grow in his field that he did not sow, that he did not sow. 
And rightly and naturally, his, his tenants, his workers, his family, in many ways, probably a lot of these people are is fa- the family of the sower. Well, shall we get in there and weed the crop? And he said, no, if you weed that crop of wheat, you're going to destroy a lot of the wheat. So we're going to wait and we're going to separate it at the, at the last, at the time of harvest. When the close of the age comes, Paul, Jesus will later explain to the disciples, the harvest is the close of the age. The harvest is the day of judgment. The harvest is the moment when there is time no more. On that day, we will separate the good and the bad. And the bad is in the field, not because the sower put it there. An enemy of the sower put it there. And Jesus will go on, we didn't hear this read, but a little later in the chapter, he will say, that enemy is the devil, the one who does not want us to enter the kingdom of heaven. The parable of the net is a, it, it just turns the whole idea on, on a different, into a different example, but it's the same teaching. Jesus is teaching the same thing now in a place where there were a lot of people that were engaged in the business of fishing. And fishing was done with what are, used to be called, in my experience, drag nets, where a net is cast and then a bunch of men bring that net to shore. Uh, as still goes on in many parts of the world. And that net gathers up everything that is big enough to get stuck in the mesh. And then those who drag the net to shore sort it out. The, the things that are good and, and are helpful for human life and the things that are bad. And again, Jesus says, this is precisely what is coming. There is going to be a separation between the good and the bad, the righteous and the unrighteous, the lovers of God's commandments and the despisers of God's commandments, the lovers of God and the despisers of God. Now, the parables at the time that Jesus gave these parables were just scattered to whoever was there. We, we know there was a sizable crowd because the gospel narrative tells us that there was a crowd, a good-sized crowd. And so there's a sense in which these parables go out to the world. When this parable, these two parables are shared with any human being, that human being, that man, that woman, is hearing the truth. And from that moment, they will be accountable for having heard the truth. But the application of the parables is uniquely given to the Lord's people, to those who do love him, who care for him, who follow him, who sit at his feet, who listen to his teaching, and not listening so that their ears will be tickled by the teaching, but so that they might align themselves with his teaching. To love what he commands does not mean to say I love what he commands, To love what he commands means I want to learn to obey what he commands. And I do my part. I make the effort. I make the decisions. I change the patterns. I alter what I do with my time and my life and my mind 
and my treasure. I change direction because I have heard this message, this message of God's desire for a good harvest in me. A good harvest in me. And the certainty, because Jesus' teaching is never false, that a day is coming when I will be judged. And that day, that end of the age, that may not happen in my lifetime, but my life will end. And at that moment, that decision is, is going to be made. Good seed, bad seed. Good harvest, bad harvest. And in that sense, for nearly 2,000 years, the theologians and teachers of the faith that are most esteemed in the church's history and in mine have seen that both of these parables apply to the church as a mixed community. That is to say, in the midst of the church of God are the good and the bad. In the midst of the church of, the God, of God are things coming to good fruit and weeds growing that aren't fruit. And they're all in the household of God. So anyone that has ever pondered these readings and thought about these readings and prayed about these readings, though saddened, is not surprised at the latest news of something wrong in the church the latest news of a fallen minister, the latest news of a church fight, the latest news of something going wrong in the children's ministry, the latest news of something horrific. As grievous and as sad as it is, it's not a surprise to a biblical Christian because there are those inside the household of God who are enemies of God. And there are those inside of the household of God who are disobedient to the word of God. It ought not to be so, but it is. And until the day of judgment, it will be so, according to our Lord Jesus' teaching. So the idea that we can somehow purify the church so wonderfully that we have no one inside of the household of God who is in any way other uh, then committed heart, soul, mind, and strength to know the commandments of God and obey them, any desire that that would be so is vain. It will not happen. But still the word of God must be preached. And still the word of God must be put before the people of God. And still the people of God must come under the word of God and the leadership of those God sets in authority some of whom may not be doing what God wants. Today in the epistle, it's, it's, it's touching to an old Christian like myself who's been at this work of God that he called me to for a long, long, long time. Um, in, in the spring of 1968, in the spring of 1968, I first heard this epistle, not with this ear, but this, the ears here. I'd heard that epistle because I was a kid growing up in the church and it came around once a year. 
But in 1968, I heard it for the first time. And I realized on that day that God had a claim on my life that I must surrender to. So it's very, it's very wonderful passage for me. I hope many of you are in the habit of taking your bulletin home. I hope many of you are in the habit of looking at the scriptures in your private, quiet time, not just showing up on Sunday and hearing, but taking it in, listening, praying. And the thing that strikes me today is that I'm supposed to make the most of the time, according to the epistle. I'm to make the most of the time. And thus, it applies to me as well as to you. We are on this side of the harvest. We are on this side of the judgment. And so while we have time, we must make the most of the time. And today's colleague couldn't be a better guide. I want what you promise. Make me love what you command. Because that's the mystery. If you want it, learn to obey it. And we know that only comes when we surrender ourselves to the Lord. But today, as I stand before you, under God, as far as I know, I'll preach five more times. From this pulpit. And I intend, by God's grace, to give you the best I've got. I have not tried to shirk that duty on any of these Sundays since 2014. But it says in the scriptures, again, back to the teaching of Jesus, a, a well-trained scribe by which he is meaning, he's speaking to his disciples, if you do what I want you to do, you have to learn to help separate the wheat from the weeds. You have to learn how to separate the good from the bad. You have to help those who want to walk in my truth, to walk in my truth. If you are a well-trained scribe, you are going to bring out of your life, out of your mind, out of your heart, out of your experience, out of what I've taught you, the things that open the doors to the kingdom of heaven. I know that you know, and I know that you care, and I know that you realize that it has been my prayer that I will be found faithful to having helped this congregation be so well grounded in the word of God and the truth of the gospel that no matter what happens anywhere else, it will be said of us, we will serve the Lord. Roger Revelle has asked that he and I have two or three Zooms this month and next before he moves to be our next rector. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to hearing more of his story. I'm looking forward to sharing from my own heart with him. He comes to us as a man committed to the word of God. I pray with all my heart that it's your desire that he finds us a body grounded on Christ and his worth, that he finds us a people eager 
to be submitted to Christ and to his truth. And that while we have time, we make the most of it to be a part of that great and wonderful harvest of those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ's power to save. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.